0: In today's study, Doctor Misler completes his teaching on the Book of Second Kings, chapters twenty-one through twenty-three.
1: Okay, now we're in chapter twenty-three, and we'll talk. This is uh, let's talk about what Josiah accomplishes. The king sent and gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem, and the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Boy, they're doing a lot of scripture reading here, huh? And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments, and his testimonies, and his statutes. Those are all different things. You can study, dig those out on your own. His commandments, His testimonies, His statutes, with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. In other words, He pledged Himself to follow the Lord faithfully and to carry out the words of the, uh, of the law of Moses. And uh, all, the, all the people promised to do the same. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove at Ashtoreth and all the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. Why would he carry the ashes to Bethel? Because Bethel was the very center of pagan worship. This was... In effect, you know, thumbing their nose at the fact that their 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 days are over, and uh, so the uh, all these false gods are, are dealt with here. All the paraphernalia was 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 uh, burned, destroyed just east of Jerusalem. Now, he put down the idolatrous, the idolatrous priests, whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal and to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the host of heaven that's all the part of the idolatry that they were, we were dealing with it and uh and he brought out the grove from the house that's the term is grove it's asherah it's it's actually a a, a carved uh, uh pagan symbol from the house of the lord without uh, without Jesus he went to the brook kedron and burned it at the brook kedron and stamped it small to powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people, and he break down the houses of the sodomites which were by the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the grove. When it says grove, it's really it's, it's not it's not a grove of trees. It's it's these phallic um, implements of, of of worship, and uh, so they're they're uh, and the sodomites here probably refer to male shrine prostitutes that served as part of the pagan worship. And set up tents in the temple courtyard, and of course he tore them down. Uh, Josiah tore them down and, and you know, ended that whole bit. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and and break down the uh, high places of the gates that were in the entering in of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand at the gate of the city. The uh, the shrines the high places were located at the gates near the residency of Joshua, the governor of Jerusalem, and at the other gates and so forth. Pretty straightforward, okay. Um, Nevertheless, the priests of the high places came not up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they did eat of the unleavened bread among their brethren. So um, the Le- these are Levitical priests that offered sacrifices to the, uh, the high places. They, they, they profaned themselves, so they were not allowed to... Um, uh, go up to the altar they lost their rights to that but they did allow them to eat the unleavened bread that was an accommodation to them he did permit that and and he defiled Topheth which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom that no man might take make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Moloch Now uh, this uh, uh, Moloch was a big brass idol that was heated and they put the babies in his arms um, that was all done in, in in the valley of Hinnom to the south of the city. Uh, he obviously destroys all that. But, uh, the valley of Hinnom becomes a trash heap. It's always smoldering. It's also where they do all this stuff. And it becomes the, the, uh, linguistic root for Gehenna, which is the word the Lord uses for the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. It's that word Gehenna means that it comes from the, the, that, the term itself referred to this place that was always smoldering, burning south of the city. Um, idiomatically, I'm speaking. Okay. And, uh, Okay, and he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entering in of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathamelech, the chamberlain which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots of the sun with fire. And they, they had formal processions honoring the sun. These are the horses that were used, and they would probably been dedicated by the kings. Probably Ahaz, Manasseh, and Ammon all used these, were stabled in the temple courtyard. And so he burned up the ceremonial chariots and these idolatrous processions and so forth. And the altars that were on the top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made the two courts of the house of the Lord, did the king beat down and break them down from thence and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And so uh, these are all structures that were part of the previous regimes and they are dealt with, forthwith, if you will. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, the Mount of Corruption there is a term that uh, uh, is, is speaking of uh, the southern hill of the Mount of Olives, which became known as the Hill of Corruption because of uh, the altars that were desecrating the place. Anyway, the high places that were before Jerusalem, um, which built it for Ashtoreth and the abomination of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile. Notice the astra, the abomination of the Sidonians. Where do you think that first came from? Anyone guess? Who did Ahab marry? Jezebel. Remember, her daughter was queen for a while in Judah, usurped the throne. So that's where these Phoenician or, or uh, Sidonian uh, uh, cult groups got introduced and Kamosh the abomination of the Moabites and for Milcom the abomination of the children of Ammon did the king defile so these are all all these pagan forms of worship and he broke in pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their places with the bones of men moreover the altar that was in Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin had made both that altar the high place he broke down and burned the high place stamped it small to powder and burned the grove so he's Taken on himself to go to Bethel. That's up there. That's not in the normal area of the, the area of Judah. But this is where Jeroboam, when in the civil war after Solomon dies, when he first takes over, he he established uh, uh, this form of idolatry. He'd been there for a couple hundred years, and uh, Josiah deals with it, destroys it, gets rid of it. This ancient altar at Bethel. And, uh, verse 16, and Josiah turned himself, he spied the sepulchres that were in the, there on the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the sepulchres and burned them upon the altar and polluted it. According to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed those words. Now, this is an allusion back to, um, uh, first, first Kings 12. You may remember the, 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 the man of God back there from Judah. He predicted that in the days of, Jer- back in the days of Jeroboam, He made that prediction in 1 Kings 13. He even called Josiah by name. And that would have been a century before he was around. But uh, that prophecy in 1 Kings 13, verses 2 and 3, is being fulfilled right here. Okay, in verse 17, he says, And and, and he said, What title is that I see? And the men of the city told him it is the sepulcher of the man of God, which came from Judah, and proclaimed these things that thou hast done against the altar of Bethel. He said, Let him alone. Let no man move his bones." So he let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came out of Samaria. Remember those two prophets? strange business in 1 Kings 13. Well, uh, when Josiah discovered that the, the, his bones are involved, he doesn't, he doesn't desecrate those. He leaves those alone. But he, he deals with the rest of it. And all the houses of the high praises that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger, Josiah took away and did to them according to all the acts that he had done in Bethel. And he slew all the priests of the high places that were there upon the altars and burned men's bones upon them and returned to Jerusalem. Now the very fact, by the way, that Josiah is able to go up into the northern kingdom region and deal with Samaria and Bethel and so forth, tells you something else. It's, a, it's an indication that Assyria, which theoretically ruled that area, was getting weak. They were busy with their own headaches, so he, Josiah just moved into that vacuum to, 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 uh, to, to follow through with his program here. And some of the Israelites who remained in Samaria after the uh, fall of Samaria still worshipped in those high places, and Josiah is now destroying that. And by the way, the priests he's talking about here that he slew are not necessarily Levites. These are priests that were uh, uh, that Jeroboam had appointed. These are not the Levites. These are uh, self-appointed priests. And the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover unto the Lord your God as is written in the book of this covenant. So we're going to have a Passover. See, they haven't done this for who knows how long, hundred years. Josiah is going to, by following the instructions in Exodus 12 and so on, he is going through to establish a Passover like none of the, none of the people had ever experienced. It's a big deal. Keep the Passover unto the Lord your God as is written in the book of this covenant. Surely there was not holding such a Passover from the days of Judges, the Judge Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, um, uh, nor of the kings of Judah. And by the way, what's interesting about this Passover, it's being celebrated by the obviously the kingdom of Judah and the remnants that are still around from the old kingdom of the northern kingdom. And uh, see, that's the key part of verse 22. This, the observance of this feast, is detailed for you in Second Chronicles 35, first 19 verses. And we're going to deal with one of those verses that's not in here, but it's in the Chronicles in a moment. And like him, like unto him was there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses. Neither after him arose there any like him. That's quite a report card for Josiah. Like unto him there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Neither after him arose there any like him. Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierce of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him with all. So the, the judgment's still coming, but, but uh, Josiah gets a good report in the meantime. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off the city Jerusalem which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, My name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? And the, now, uh, so we're going to come back and talk a little bit about Josiah, but let's go ahead and uh, see what follows here. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, the king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And and the king Josiah went against him and slew him at Megiddo when he had seen him. So the Pharaoh Necho, the king of Egypt, is going, taking up arms against the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is in a form of decay. He's probably going up there to try to... He's, he senses their weakness. He's going up against them. But something is very strange. It's not amplified here, but it will be in Chronicles, and we'll look at that shortly. But Josiah takes up arms against Pharaoh Necho, and that shocks Pharaoh Necho. He says, what are you doing? I'm going against your enemy. What are you doing here? What's going on here? And uh, I don't want to... We'll get. We'll come back to this, but I want you something very strange. that Josiah went up against him, and uh, he in fact he ends up going in disguise and getting killed. That that ends Josiah. He gets killed at Megiddo, and his servants carried him in a chariot, dead from Megiddo, and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own sepulcher. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's stead. And Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign and he reigned three months in Jerusalem his mother's name was Hamutal the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done no excuse here but he obviously starts to undo all the stuff that Josiah had done but not for long Pharaoh Necho put him in bands at Ribla in the the land of Hamath that he might not reign in Jerusalem and put the land to a tribute of a hundred talents of silver to a talent of gold And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the room of Josiah's father, and turned his name to Jehoiakim, and took Jehoahaz away, and he came to Egypt and died there. So Jehoahaz doesn't last long. Pharaoh Necho gets in the act, because he's obviously dominant in this area, and he makes another son of Josiah. King. A guy's name originally was Eliakim, but he changes his name. That's a prerogative of the king. He ch- changed his name to Je- kim We're going to also find out a Jehiachim, so don't get those confused, okay? So, Eliakim's name is kim and he, uh, uh, is now in charge. These are all still of the royal dynasty of David. Understand that. kim gave silver and gold to Pharaoh. But he taxed the land to give the money according to the commandment of the Pharaoh, and he exacted silver and gold of the people land of every one according to his taxation to give it to Pharaoh Necho. So he's a puppet king, if you will, under Pharaoh Necho. And Jehoiakim was twenty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zebutah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. In other words, the bad guys. And uh, so ends the chapter so far. Now, um, it's interesting. Uh, one of the earlier verses I meant to point out where God says, I'm going to remove them from my presence. That's synonymous with them removed from the land. So when they're removed from the land, they're removed from the presence of God. And that starts, by the way, uh, uh, well, that's, the Diaspora really starts that in, in 70 AD where they're removed from the land in, in a longer-term sense. Um we got a lot of details about Pharaoh Necho and, and uh, all of that when they fall into it, but that's, I think, straightforward. Um, I've got some other things I'm going to try to squeeze in our study here. So, um, okay. I want to add a little dead. We're, we're going to take chapters uh, 24 and 25 in the next session. But I want to get back to this Ark of the Covenant. You notice it was missing. And... Uh, We've seen that the judgment earned by Manasseh, Manasseh would come, Josiah personally be spared witnessing it. But one of the questions you need to answer is, why was Josiah obtaining the word of the Lord through hold the prophetess rather than through the Levites in the Ark of the Covenant? And I'll tell you what my conjecture is, but I think it's pretty well established. Visualize Manasseh, who is destroying the Torah, destroying the temple. Imagine yourself a committed, devoted Le- uh, Levitical priest. What's your reaction to all of that? What you're going to do is you're going to secretly get the ark out of the temple, so Manasseh can't destroy it, out of the temple, out of Jerusalem, probably out of the country, out of the reach of the ravages of Manasseh. And there's evidence that apparently that he sought refuge, uh, the, the Levites sought refuge under Pharaoh Necho in Egypt. There's a, in 2 Chronicles 35, a very important chapter to read. There's some additional information that uh, there's, a, there's a verse here that's very strange. Speaking of Josiah, it says, He said, Unto the Levites that taught all Israel, which were holy unto the Lord, these are the good guys, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, did build. It shall not be a burden upon your shoulders. Serve now the Lord your God and his people Israel. What this implies is that the Ark of the Covenant is on their shoulders, that it's in transit, it's away. It's not in the temple, obviously. In fact, it's not serving the people of Israel. It's out of the country. He asked them to put the holy Ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, did build. In other words, the holy temple. It shall not be a burden upon your shoulders. Serve now the Lord your God and his people Israel. What's interesting about this verse, there's no evidence that they complied. Many people read this assume, well, that's when they put it back in the Holy polish. No, he asked them to. It doesn't say they did. In fact, a few verses later, it uh, uh, I believe they take uh, 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 the ark and the mercy seat out of the temple, out of Jerusalem, out of the jurisdiction of Manasseh. When you get a few verses further in that same chapter, you encounter this interesting thing about Farineko. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, he's getting ready for this big Passover, he wants to, you know, and so forth. Necho the king of Egypt came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates. There's the big there's a big battle with the Assyrians, but it's going to because of the geography Pharaoh Necho comes up north and they in battle Karshemesh is up by the Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. I want you to notice that uh, Pharaoh Necho's reaction when he goes up against him. Pharaoh Necho that he uh, Pharaoh Necho sent ambassadors to him that Josiah saying, "What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day." But against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. Understand the assertion of of Pharaoh Necho. He said, Josiah, what are you doing? I'm doing what God told me to do. Don't get in the way of God's will here. Josiah doesn't get killed, obviously, right? We can find out, right? But I want you to notice the next verse, verse twenty two. Verse 22 is not part of the quotation of Pharaoh Necho. It's a comment by the chronicler. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself, that he might um, fight with him, and hearken not unto the words of Necho, notice the next phrase, from the mouth of God. And he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archer shot at King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. I want you to notice this. Verse 22 has a very strange, from the mouth of God. That's a comment in the Holy Word of God by the chronicler. How on earth could Pharaoh Necho be hearing from God? The natural conjecture is, not only did the Levites take the ark for safekeeping down there, they set up shop. They set up a tabernacle, and they're Levites, that's their job, and they set it all up. And apparently somehow in that procedure they communicate with Necho what God wanted him to do. And Necho is following this course of action. And Josiah why is he going up against Necho in the first place? Much power powerful force. What's Josiah after, you think? Anyone have a guess? The ark, absolutely. That's a very reasonable it's a conjecture, but it's a very reasonable conjecture. Well, Let's go on. Um Uh, I covered these things, I guess. Um, Give you another little fact that most people have not noticed. Pharaoh Necho is not Egyptian. Pharaoh is a title. He's king of Egypt. He's part of the 26th dynasty, which is known as the Ethiopian dynasty. Pharaoh Necho is Pharaoh Necho II, actually, by uh, secular reckoning. He was Ethiopian. And that starts, by the way, a, a documented trust. Apparently, there's a 24 year, 100, the 2400 year history of some kind of sacred relic that's been guarded by the Ethiopians from its original tenure at Elephantine Island in Upper Egypt, about 642 BC, the t- period that we're talking about here, to Tana Kirkos Island on Lake Tana, where it stays there for about eight centuries, and to its present location in a compound at Aksum in the northern part of Ethiopia. And they believe what they've got there, they're protecting until they deliver it to the Messiah when he rules at Zion. Now, what, it turns out that apparently it would seem that the Levites took it from Jerusalem, get it out of Manasseh's way, took it down, all the way down to Elephantine Island. I've been there. Elephantine Island was the capital of Egypt. It was a fortress. It's an island in the Nile, but it's a fortress. And there is documented records that there was a temple to Jehovah by Jews there because uh, subsequent conquerors recruited mercenaries that were still left over from those days. So it's a matter of record that they they, uh, had done something there. Fortified capital. The ark was located there from about 630 B.C. to about 430 B.C. Now, uh, it's, uh, it's the southernmost border town, fortified. Military importance during the 25th dynasty and Temple of Jehovah served a Jewish colony prior to the Persian occupations of the, the 4th and 5th century uh, B.C. Now, uh, and we've been there. And uh, anyway, it finally goes down further, I really should say up, because we're going upriver as we go this way, uh, up to uh, Lake Tana, a very large lake, and on that lake there are a number of small islands, one of which is Tana Kirkus, and it remains there on Tana Kirkus Island for 800 years. And there's still a colony of monks there that preserve, there's the picture of the island, and uh, they uh, have a, a very primitive uh, lifestyle there. Obviously, this is Bob Cornuke uh, uh, examining some of the implements that is still apparently still uh, left over from the time that the ark was there. And they have a and very interesting. They have uh, documented records that they take seriously. I, I don't know how accurate they are. That um, Joseph and Mary and the baby, when they were in Egypt, came here to, pay, uh, to visit, which is kind of interesting. Nine months and ten, uh three uh three months and ten days. Ninety days, nine uh, yeah, I think three months and ten days they're pr- presumably there. Anyway, it remains there, and then finally it moves up to Axum, where it's presently protected. Uh uh and 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 uh, it's until it's presented to the Messiah. The presentation of the Messiah is detailed for you in Isaiah eighteen, the whole chapter, Zephaniah three ten, and so forth. And uh that's the place they call Saint Mary's of Zion it's just the top part of it. the rest of it's all underground it's really what you it really has the aspect of a military bunker and once a year at, Tim, at a ceremony called Timcat, they bring out a relic it's not the ark it's just a it's a, a relic that represents the 10 com, the tablets that are in the ark the, the guardian that stays with the ark doesn't leave the compound he stays there with the ark inside this is just a big celebration where they celebrate uh Jesus Christ because they celebrate through that ark they celebrate his baptism very interesting uh Tradition. They to, I want you to visualize tens of thousands of Levites, Levitical descendants, celebrating Jesus Christ once a year with what they are convinced is the Ark of the Covenant. And it's kind of interesting. So, it's a documented tradition, from 642 BC through to the town of Kirkus Island till Aksum and uh, and so forth. So, so that ends this session. Um, in the next session, we'll finish the. The, the twilight of the nation and the captivity of Judah under Nebuchadnezzar and so forth.
0: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Mussler, teaching through the book of Second Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Quinney Institute, visit QuinneyInstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.